Um, welcome back to the Disney Desk, everyone. Uh, I'm Sydney. And I'm Carter. And we are continuing our conversation about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If you saw our last episode, um, we gave as much of the film as we could without spoiling anything too, too much. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm actually surprised we were able to have that <laughs> well, like, rich did. conversation without just saying plot stuff. Right. But um, the whole time I was that meme of that kid that's like looks like he's like holding his breath and he's like, got oh, like the veins. Like, he's got the veins. Yeah. And my the meme fa- is like... One of my like, favorite memes. Like being a vegan, but you haven't told someone that you're a vegan in like four minutes. Yeah. That was me. They're <laughs> on the last recording. I will say I'm really relieved you said that because I was getting so antsy during this recording, that last recording where I'm like, Sydney, please say more. I feel like I'm hogging the conversation and that's a very bad look for this specific film. Well, I realized, it's like I didn't realize until we started that all I want to talk about is spoilers. So I was like, I don't really have much else. Like I'm, we need to just transition on. Anyway, here we are ready to talk spoilers. I mean, should we just start from the top? Like, this is just going to be us talking about our favorite moments. So we hope that you have seen this film. Yeah, this is going to be us just talking about specific scenes, why they're good, specific moments, or specific plot beats, why we like them. Absolutely. Let's start with my favorite scene, which I have affectionately called Fuck Around and Find Out. Yes. I'm doing the chef's kiss hand purse moment right now because... Oh my gosh. Um, I, what, what, what can I say about this scene? What a good way to like introduce us back to Wakanda. This is like a proper, like, welcome back to Wakanda. This is what we're dealing with. This has that same yes. energy as, as Falcon and Winter Soldier when the Dormelaju show up and like, there's just this all encompassing presence with people from yeah. Wakanda that just feels intimidating. Where it's like, oh, Oh, the game has changed. Like, the table's yeah. turned. Whatever you thought was going to happen right now is not going to happen right now. Yeah, forget um, it. Yeah, for context with this scene, basically, we're talking about the scene at the beginning of the movie where uh, Angela Bassett has become, the queen has come before the UN. The UN is getting on her case um, about, like, hey, you know, you promised us resources, you promised yeah. us help, and you haven't. Hand them over. And meanwhile... Meanwhile, the French have secretly, in the dastardly French way they do, right. have s- sent mercenaries to raid a condom base, or like an outreach center for vibranium, only to find out the whole place is filled with actual soldiers. Right, exactly. I mean, this is like, we, we needed a proper like reintroduction to people like Denai Guerrera and sort of the amazing stunts that they pull off. Um, right. And how... Um, incredible her character is uh yeah and just and how incredible this unit is right like it's so hard to make like it's so hard in movies to establish like oh these guys are the best at what they do Mm -hmm. like and it can be anything where you're like oh this is the best musician in the world and you listen you're like it's fine yeah like oh this is the most badass (laughs) guy who's ever lived and i'm like i've seen like seven action scenes better than this last week right but like like, no, Okoye really is that. The like, cream of Okoye the and the Dora are actually, they actually make them look like the bat- most badass right. that's ever lived. Where, like, 
if you make eye contact with them, you aren't going to make it to sunrise. Like, you're not going to see sunrise. Um, Right. And I will say, like, and people have kind of been quietly talking about, on top of this, um, Angela Bassett Oscars talk. Which one, I think, would be a nice makeup for um, Michael B. Jordan not getting nominated last time around, or... Or Chadwick just not winning... What a mess. Can we... All right, I'm sorry. I know we're in the middle of a scene discussion. Can we just talk about how much of a mess that was? Like, what an utter failure. Who... And... What... Where, when... What? And it's not just that he didn't win. Which, like, okay. As much as I hate to admit it, Anthony Hopkins really did give one of the best performances of his life. But the Mm -hmm. optics of giving it to someone who's already had an Oscar. Right. The fact that you moved the entire ceremony around. You literally changed it so Best Actor was the last award. Mm -hmm. Only to have it be on that duck where Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there. Right. And Joaquin Phoenix has to awkwardly go like, yep, uh, well, that's the end of the show. The the one man (laughs) you don't want to have to like improvise and charm his way out of an uncomfortable moment. Right. And it's just like, you had to have known this was a possibility. You had to have known there's a chance the Academy wouldn't go along with this. Right. And you had to have said something like, hey guys, I know we probably shouldn't move around the schedule, and I know, like, you know, we're trying to keep this stuff secret to the last possible minute, but we need to know if he won. Right. Because if he didn't win, we need to change the schedule Everything. completely. Yeah. Otherwise, people are going to freak. Revolt. Um, yes. But anyway, like, and not only is this just a great scene for Ramonda in terms of just, like, like, it's just a great acting performance. It's not, it like, is. It's, again, it's that Shakespearean, like, the king sitting on the throne after losing everything moment. But at the same time, even the unspoken parts, the fact that the Dora bring this entire unit back alive, mm-hmm. and she underlines, like, if I wanted to flip, like, there was a scene before all of this where she probably really thought, maybe we should just kill them. Right, yeah. Like, just, and that's, like, I think what's, like, the perfect harmony between actor and writing, where, like, Parts that aren't seen on screen, parts that are unspoken, also just add to the, like, mythos and, like, the performance, where you just think about everything that's happening in this universe that we aren't seeing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it seems like this that, um, that remind me of how Ryan Coogler really exquisitely highlights this, like, dichotomy of Black excellence up against the way the worldview of Africans, which is that they are like incompetent and unintelligent. Right. Yeah. Like the French president wouldn't have done this if they didn't think they were going to get away with it. Right. 100%. Yeah. Like this is not a card you play unless you are a hundred percent confident. There is no way these people are going to right. like the Western world has still maintains a worldview that Africans don't know what they're doing, that they are helpless, that they are right unintelligent in, in, in the world. Um, and it, it carries even into Wakanda, of all places, even though you need something from them. Yes. On top of the fact that two different times now, one of which, it, like, one of which a lot of people saw because, like, it's become, like, the final fight against Thanos became, like, this mythical moment in the MCU. Like, people reference it. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, even though you, at this point, you have seen the king of this nation donned in a, like, super suit, leading an army to basically force back the apocalypse multiple times now, and you're still like, yeah, but we can totally pull this off now. Yeah, they... We can totally do we this. Can, we can sneak in there, no problem. That's fine. It, it also, I mean, it also just underlines, like, 
white people's propensity to cheat to undermine oh, yeah. black people. Like, he showed up to this meeting, but really, they were just going to, like, sneak in the back door? Like, okay. Yeah, awesome. Neat. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, like, again, they couldn't have picked a better scene to start, like, post-credit roll, because, like, we just needed something. You had right. to give us we something to, break this up. to get back into this. 100%. On the subject of Ryan Coogler, I also do think this scene underlines, like... There's been a lot of talk about auteurism lately and sort of, like, the big-name directors. I was trying to think of what makes Ryan Coogler, like, like what is his signature thing? Because, like, directors always have their signature thing, whether it's, like, their one take or their color palette choice or their, like, propensity to use certain techniques. Or their title cards. Russo Brothers. Yes. And, or, like, how they approach things. And you know what I think Ryan Coogler's secret weapon is? Mm. He knows... One, he's really good at picking talent. He's very good Ooh, at yeah. bringing the best out of that talent. He is not, like, he isn't a showman in terms of directing. Like, he'll do cool shots and he'll do, like, fun tricks. But for the most part, he's, like, he's not drawing the attention to him. Like, look at me. Look at how smart I am. Look yeah. at me. Part, look at how great I'm a, a director, director I am. He's like, yeah. yeah, he's like, no, I'm going to get the best possible people for every single position and inspire and rally them to give their best performance. Mm -hmm. He is, like, he is a leader. He's the guy waving the flag to rally the troops. Because, again, it... Watching this film just underlines, as much as, like, as hard as it is not to have that pull of Chadwick Boseman, the costuming, the music, the, just, the environments, the fleshed-out world-building, every single actor giving arguably the best performance of their life. Yes. Just, (laughs) he gets the best out of everything he touches. Um, I couldn't agree more, yeah. And on top of that, he also, I don't know, I also just appreciate that he is, like, clearly a nerd. Oh, yeah. Like, with him and Chloe Zhao, there's always this energy, like, negative energy of, like, ugh, look at these artists being forced to make Marvel movies. yeah. Meanwhile, Chloe Zhao is, like, giddily giving interviews where she's like, Blade was in my movie, I got Blade, oh, sorry, spoilers for uh, the (laughs) post-credit scene of Internals. Uh Um, Like, I, you know, Blade was in my movie. Meanwhile, like, Ryan Coogler's like, yeah, I wanted Namor to be in the after-credits scene of the first Black Panther, and I really wanted Craven. And the famous story of him getting Creed was, apparently he was at a party with Sylvester Stallone and breathlessly cornered him and, like, gave his entire pitch of, like, what, all right, hear me out, hear me out. What about Creed's kid? What happened to Creed's kid? And that's how he got the job. Like, I love this era of, like, really good directors who are just big geeks and yeah. just clearly are so happy that they get to play with the toys. right. Um, which just feels like a breath of fresh air in this negative energy we have around, like, Marvel True. movies right now, because, like, and a part of me didn't even want to talk about this, because I'm so freaking tired of the Marvel discourse. And, Maybe like, one day Simeon we'll Lou, have to dive into it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, we're not talking about this right now. All I'm going to say is, like, I don't think any individual point Tarantino or Scorsese has made is wrong, but I also think there's an awful lot of sour grapes about how mm-hmm. the environment that you guys got to make whatever you wanted forever got right. broken up. And you can't cope with that. Pretty much, yeah. Um, we may have to but, circle back to this discussion later, but yes. couldn't agree more. Because uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Right. Um, uh, another scene we talked about vaguely um, as we were starting is the first scene we get introduced to um, the undersea folk and Namor. Ooh. Oh my yes. goodness. Again, like... Giddy. I, I just, I'm again, giddy with, like, the chills. Just thinking about it. Yeah. 
I think that's, again, that's a sign of a really good film for me where I just, like, feel like I need to breathlessly explain every scene. This is the, this is the scene that made me feel like this is the best Marvel movie. <laughs> like, honestly, this is, stuff like this is what does it for me. Right. Like, it is a horror scene. Yeah, it's horror. Yeah. It's, it's absolute horror. Yeah. Yeah, and we were talking about... I almost spoiled this scene when we were talking about Peanuts because we were talking about diegetic versus non-diegetic. Oh, right. And this is maybe the best example of diegetic music I've seen in a movie in a while. Where yes. you start hearing these chants and you're like, oh, this must be the theme these for... Uh, teleco- yeah. Yeah. This must be their, like... It's this the must score. be their, like, theme song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, telecons. And then you suddenly realize, no, wait... They're actually They're chanting. Singing this it. is an actual sirens. As you realize, you're like, oh, all the crew members are, are jumping out into the water and drowning themselves. Right. And suddenly, like, you, they do show, like, their heads coming out of the water to actually, like, sing. But yes. it's just, like, the moment that you realize what's happening is this sort of, like, like <laughs> this, oh, my yes. God, moment. It's insane. Yeah, and I like that it gives lets the audience figure it out on their own. Oh yeah, like that just makes it so much scarier as you realize what you're What's witnessing, happening, and what you're hearing yourself. Yeah, and then we're watching this actually harrowing scene of like the few people who are left alive making a break for it as these like blue like pe- like okay. creatures who aren't even running like regular people. They're almost like spider like. They somehow manage to get away, and then it just doesn't matter because someone flies out of the ocean and rips their helicopter out of the air. Isn't that the? I think that's the most terrifying part. Like this raid left no survivors. Right. None. That helicopter yeah. scene, awful, scary. Like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, genuinely scary. It's like you survived the Michael Myers. Like you survived Jason. You survived Michael Myers, and it didn't even fucking matter. matter. No, it turns it's out they had over. another friend who's even stronger. I, that's, see, that's, those are the things about storytelling that always creep me out when, when you think about, like, things that, that the storytellers are not showing of, like, these people showed up to their jobs today not expecting to die, like, not expecting this to happen, like, this is another day. Yes, they thought they found vibranium, they thought they changed, like, the balance of power in the world, and they were doing something, making a scientific achievement, and every single one of them died in the ocean. Exactly. Uh, Their bodies will never be found. And they start the scene out, like, with this really mundane energy of just, like, hey, it's Tuesday. Like, <laughs> there's right. something so low-key about it. Right. And, yeah, it just, ooh. And, like, that, like, it's weird. It's so interesting how they do this balancing act of, like, humanizing the telecons and, like, you know, much like Wakanda being, like, here is an indigenous culture and, like, we're treating them with respect and dignity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the way they, like, crawl up ships... And they just, like, run, like, there are just waves of them charging, like, they simultaneously unhumanize them and humanize them in a way that I don't know how he get. I don't know how Ryan Coogler gets away with it. I don't know how he makes it work, where I'm, like, I still think this was a respectful, like, nuanced approach to a culture. But at the same time, you make them, like, horrifying. Yes. It feels like, for me, it's, like, all in the sound design, honestly, (laughs) that can really (sighs) steer a ship into being really like an awful horror movie yeah and i think that's the again it's the advantage of the water like the creepy like splooshiness like the fact that their kingdom is like pitch black like i love that that creepiness never goes away no like every time they appear out of the water like they do it like navy seals where they're completely silent like they make no sound to just like they're like here we are yeah 
Well, that's even the bit with Namor. He somehow, they're like, he managed to swim how many miles under all of her barriers and then just surprise attack. Like, when he first shows up, he managed to, like, get to the queen without anyone knowing. Could you... That's how good a swimmer he is. Could you just imagine, though, if you were, like, on a secluded beach and, like, a man popped out of the water? A flying man. Like, just emerged up out of the ocean, like, coming towards you. And instead of doing what you assume and, like, attacking you, he just stands there for a minute and gives, like, a soliloquy. Right. And you're, again, you're just like, what the... You're still processing, like, did he fly? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and, like, an example of the creepiness, like, I love that it's never said, like... Well, Neymar has one of the best jokes in the movie where he's like, no, you... When he's talking to Shuri and he's just like, no, you can't visit my kingdom... Like, it's not just that you will freeze the minute you get that low into water. The human Your bones body is simply not created to handle that much pressure. Right. Oh, but we have a thing for that. Hold on. Yeah. And it's clearly one of the submarine the suit. suits they stole from that right? ship. That that and guy was wearing. It, but it's so obvious. Like, here's a submarine suit we dragged a mount out of and presumably, like, ripped to pieces. Right. Um, or just drowned. Yeah. And just left his body there. Right. Um... And, like, again, we have this kind of beautiful scene where we're seeing Telecon and, like, again, it, it, it resonates with, like, the scenes we had in Wakanda where you're like, oh, these are just people living their lives. Like, right. they just happen to be caught in this geo... They didn't choose to be caught in geopolitics. They didn't choose to have a chosen superhero exactly. as their champion. These are just the things they were born into. But at the same time, you're like, God, it's also dark and just... You don't know when anyone's going to pop up around you. The ocean is scary. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's a part of it, too. Like, if you're in Wakanda and you've never been there before, there's a finite amount of places anyone can, like, approach you from. <laughs> right, yeah. There's an infinite number a human can approach <laughs> right. you from in the water. Like, you don't have to look up and then be like, oh, there's a man above me. Yeah. Ah. Or coming from underneath you or in any direction. Yeah. No, the ocean is terrifying. Right, right. Okay. All right, let's dive into Ironheart. Yes, uh, Riri Williams is introduced in this movie. Okay, here's what I have to say, first of all. This is one of my, like, I struggle to call this a critique so much, but, like, I may call it pandering when I feel like, when I feel like a film doesn't quite know how to talk to its audience, which is strange because it's made by, like, a young black filmmaker but there are still some lines that feel like unnatural mm-hmm. coming from these characters. And right. the sequence when um, Okoye and Shuri come to the States to find Riri at her college. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, this scene is like dripping in product placement randomly. Yes. And it feels so goddamn unnatural in this universe right. for them to be like usually the can MCU you is good venmo that. me like they have this <laughs> and they're like where i'm like objectively this is a real thing that would happen it just feels weird in a movie you just, would just be like pay me yeah it's it's weird there's there's a bunch of different references there's venmo there's fenty fenty beauty that rihanna's fenty. makeup rihanna's uh makeup oh, brand okay that is really it, popular it's not surprising i don't know what that is right then. It's it's a really, really popular makeup brand within the black community because she made a shade range for, like, dark-skinned people, which is, like, novel right. in the beauty industry. Um, but for them to, like, mention it by name, and I was like, okay, you guys know who your audience is, great. Like, 
pat on the back, you did it. We're here for young black people seeing your movie. And it just made me roll my eyes. It's not even an issue, but, like, Mm -hmm. it really... I was just like, okay, fine, fine, here we are. Great. (laughs) But the scene is still fun. Yeah, I will say... Like, you discussed, and this is what I meant with, like, a lot of the stuff we were talking about coming to a head. You talked about how it feels weird having um, MCU characters get introduced on the little screen. Like, it feels like some of the pomp and circumstance is deprived of them. Yes. This scene, like, especially because, like, Reba Williams has become a bigger name in the comics, but she's still not considered an A-lister, necessarily. Correct. Like, this isn't, like, when they first introduced Spider-Man. And yet, at the same time, the minute I was like, oh, we're gonna get to meet a new hero, and... We, like, a per- like we're following her as she's walking towards someone. I'm like, oh, this feels just as big and important as when they introduce Spider-Man. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is that power of the big screen. It, um, yeah. And I will say, I love how coy they are. Well, one, I love that they never explain why she's making an Iron Man suit. It's just, like, no, we're she's just 10, smart. 15 years into this. Yeah, <laughs> we're 15 years into this. There's a lot of smart people. Someone was going to try to do this. Right. And when we finally see her in the suit, that really is, like, it almost hits me as well as, like, I, I referenced that scene in our non-spoilery. Oh, shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. Right. Like, for me, that got me just as fired up as that bit in the first Iron Man where he's, like, punching through the door. Um, and we see, like, the mech for the first, like, the Mark One mech for the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, about you, but I, I was kind of hoping for some sort of reference to Tony Stark and in some way even if it was just her being like yeah i'm a fan of his work or you know like i I was looking for some sort of iron man reference here just a just a little one please yeah i mean i feel like i do it's weird i i would be curious if i'm assuming riri was always in the script Mm. i'm gonna trust that pre chadwick's passing she was involved in this movie in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. i'm curious how prominent she was because i will say in terms of one of my, like, nitpicks in terms of the pacing and the structure, her inclusion of, like, oh, she made a thing that can find vibranium, so now uh, everybody wants her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting, like, MacGuffin to make. And I guess it bothers me more because I would be really... I would have liked to see her in Wakanda more because you've talked about how, like, you relate to Killmonger. But at the same time, Killmonger was a Wakandan. Like, he right. grew up on stories of like, this incredible kingdom where the sunrises were the most beautiful you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Whereas Riri is, like, an American, American kid who's grown up in a... Yeah, who's grown up in, like, the traditional understanding of the world, only to, at some point in her life, have someone go, hey, surprise, there's an entire country in Africa that is the most incredible city the world has ever seen, and they have kept that from you. Yeah. And they have kept that from all of you. Right. Because... dot dot dot. And I feel like it would have been interesting to get her perspective on that more. But at the same time, the plot is in such motion. It's like, well, she is in a constant state of crisis, you know. From the it's hard jump. To, like, stop and breathe. Yeah. Like, her little introduction is, hey, there's a merman who's going to fucking kill you if we don't get you out Right. Of I do appreciate like, that they let her say at one point, like, can I call my mom? <laughs> yeah. Like, finally someone puts this into perspective here of, like, okay. Like, the stakes here are kind of wild. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I will say, while we're, I don't know, we're jumping around here a little bit, but can I quickly, while we're talking about sort of, like, structure and pacing things, get the one thing I genuinely don't like out of this movie? The one thing that, 
Like, there are things that I'm like, I really love this, but I think it could be better. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I just straight up do not like. I also have a thing like that, so you do yours. And, and it breaks my heart, because I love Julia Louise Dreyfus. Me too. But her film scenes feel like they belonged in a different movie. Her scenes feel like they belong in a series. They they feel like they were scenes that were in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. That just got <laughs> cut for time. Uh, yes, yeah. And like, it, which hurts because she actually has one of the best lines in the movie, I think, mm-hmm. where Everett Ross, and I'm happy Ross is in it because I do like Ross. Me like too. all the dunking on him and Sorkin as being like the two white characters in the right. last movie. It's frustrating because they're also really, really good. They Both are. Both of them are great. And I'm glad that there like, is kind of a fondness between, that they seem to have become right. friends over time. Right. Like this, this experience has brought us closer together and I'm actually like, you know, a mid-tier white ally. I'm going to try and do my best not to get your country invaded. Right. Uh, by SWAT. Um, but anyway, like, there's the one where Everett is like, hey, you know what? What would you do if you were in the Wakanda? Like, what would you do if the U.S. was just sitting on a valuable resource like this? And Julia Lee's Dreyfus is like, oh, I salivate at that moment. I, again, I, it's like what you're saying. Like, we don't shy away from the fact that all of these, like, Western powers are straight up, like we're if we had this we would be monsters we'd know what to do yeah yeah we like we would know what to do with it wink wink okay and i am this this requires a huge jump um i disliked the end credit scene oh we're cutting ahead to that yeah right we're we're cutting ahead to that which at this point we're just talking about whatever comes to mind but um that's fair we don't have to go in chronological order yeah yeah okay you know I was disappointed. Well, it's it's not that I was disappointed with the end credit scene in that I didn't think it was valuable, but for me, it did one of the like cardinal sins of storytelling, which is just having a single character sum up a lot of plot points in like a single yes. sentence, and mm. then and having them fill in a bunch of dial like fill in a, a bunch of information just in a single conversation. I think every time I see that, I'm like, this is really bad storytelling. This is because I thought that so much of what we saw in this end credit scene could have easily been incorporated into the story. Am I wrong? Like, could this have been woven in and not have really taken away or distracted from what we're doing here? I mean, especially because um nikia is so far like geographically separated from the rest of them she's supposed to be in haiti and Mm -hmm. like okay she's already like like we we established several times that like she's not in wakanda anymore you know she's hop skipping and jump away like would it have been too much to incorporate this child into the story someplace else instead of having us just like tie it up with a bow in the end and be like here's everything you need to know i just found myself like rolling my eyes the whole time and and being like i think this is bad storytelling see this is what i mean by things i love but i could agree could be better because i objectively agree with everything you say it is a rare sloppy moment from ryan coogler in terms of telling not showing and don't vomiting information at us yeah um it's 
has that problem that a lot of after credit scenes, and I want to talk about, I, we probably won't talk about it here, but I am so tired of after credit scenes. Are or you? at least like what after credit scenes have become. Mm. Um, again, because the Black Adam after credit scene, it's literally just Henry Cavill shows up and pitches. It's basically like, hey, I'm a famous person. Would you like to see me in a movie? And the fact that all of these reviews are like, stay for the after credit scene, I'm like, okay, maybe Scorsese was onto something. Maybe this is becoming too much of a roller coaster ride and we're just playing the hits. But um, yeah, the after credit scenes yeah, are so, becoming trailers. Yes, and not not in a good way. Not in a good like, way. I like after credit scenes that are scenes that yeah. set up possible futures, right? Or like add something to the context. Like Nick Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man. It's cool because we've established Shield already. Like, oh, now we get to meet the guy behind the strings, and mm-hmm. he's presenting. Oh, this universe is wait like. It's a nice cliffhanger. Like, it doesn't set up a whole new movie, but it sets us up for, right. like, oh, a lot of things could happen. Bucky showing like up Spider-Man. At, at the end of Black Panther. That is a great one. Yeah, because it's like, it doesn't undo what we just witnessed. Right. It just is a nice little capper. Or even, like, something that does upend the ending of the movie, Spider-Man getting his identity out. Because then I'm just like, oh, mm. I have no idea what the hell's going to happen now. Right. Like, we, are, we are on sand. I don't know. Um, or even, like, the Miss Marvel one, where it's like, what the hell was going to happen now? But right. Anyway, the point is, like, I agree with you in terms of, like, it's clumsy and clunky, and they probably could have just set it up during the movie or just, like, had it hinted at. Mm-hmm. Like, because the minute you establish that she's away from the royal family, um, and we can talk about Lupita Nyong'o, because I want to give her her due here. Right. Um, like, a part of me is like, they have a kid, don't they? And I'm like, yeah. you could at least hint at it. Like, maybe not explicitly say it, maybe save that for... Like, have her with a kid, and mm-hmm. then the f- and after credit scene, it's just like, I want you to meet your, like, I want you to your meet nephew? your... Your nephew? Yes, that's the... I was like, what is the relationship in that scenario? Nephew, yeah. Like, I think that could have worked better. But at the same time, that moment where Letitia Wright goes, did my mom get to meet him? Mm. Fucks me up so bad. Like, something about that is just such a human little moment. Right. And again... That is what I love about... That is what the MCU is at its best. Hell, that's what, like, movie making is at its best. It is, like, simple human moments with complex characters. Like, we talk a lot about, like, themes and big ideas and stuff. But in reality, like, movies are about getting put in the perspective of individuals dealing with simple life problems. And the idea of, like, God, I hope my mom got to meet her grandkid before she died is such an emotionally raw moment it really messes me up and i'm like that makes the scene worth it i would agree with that but you just highlighted for me like just how easy it would have been to incorporate this in the film because queen ramunda visits nakia in haiti like this could have easily been done differently and better (laughs) i agree it would have been cute to like it would have been cute to have the kids show up and be like hey as if they've met before. Right, yeah. Um, well, real quick, can we just, like, because we haven't talked a lot about the individual performances that much, can we, we can, just stop we that. and yeah. give Lapita her due? Because Let's. she is a top five actor for me. Um, and, like, she she gets a lot of cool stuff to do in this movie. She has, like, I, I, like, I, like we were saying, basically all of the main ensemble from the first film get their, like, 10-ish to 15-ish minutes right. to just kind of have the story to themselves right. as, like, Letitia, Riri, and Namor, and um, 
Ramon uh, Angela. I keep mixing up character and actor names, which is probably <laughs> yeah. well. I mean, people know what Shuri, I'm saying. So yeah. Um, yeah, Shuri, Ramonda, and like Namor and Riri kind of take up the main mm-hmm. uh, take up the main sort of plot. While we but we get these vignettes with the other characters, um, like. Lapita is someone who, like, she's around, and she's successful, and people love her. But at the same time, I'm like, why is she not the biggest movie star on the planet yet? Because she is so talented. Obviously, that hasn't been a dispute for a while. Right. But that one moment where we see her face for the first time, where she, like, turns to face us, I'm like, that is a super... Like, we talk a lot about, like, what makes a movie star, what makes a superstar. That look right there. That ability Mm -hmm. to turn to the camera and just, like, steal people's breath to, like steal their thoughts where you're like, I can't think of anything because I'm looking at the most absorbing presence on screen right now. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, anyone who can match Chadwick, like, it's the closest I think we have in this cast, if I'm being honest, of just, like, you look at this person and you just feel like, this is the most important person I'll ever see. Right. You know, recently I saw on Twitter some conversations about her being selective about what she does which is why Mm -hmm. we don't just see her in everything all the time i guess that i guess that makes her appearances that much more valuable when we do get to see her oh yeah i mean i think that is she's kind of taken the reverse idris elba where idris elba's been candid about like you know i feel like you can't be precious about anything you just got to keep your face out there you know you got to say yes to all the opportunities that come to your doorstep Whereas Lapita feels like she wants that more classic Hollywood thing of like, mm-hmm. oh, when I show up, it's an event. It's important. And I respect yeah. both sides of it. Um, and she has been pretty candid about like her first big breakout role was 12 Years a Slave. Right. And she's been pretty candid about like, there was a five year stretch there where I was only in Star Wars as a mocap character. And I was only like in mocap. Yeah, in animation. my body needed rest from a film like 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, like a spiritually, emotionally and physically destructive performance. Yeah. Um, yeah, and while we're talking performances, I mean, obviously Winston Duke, like, the film kind of sets up that he's going to be the king of Wakanda, and I'm like, implied, and I'm like, yes, this is the only correct answer. Yeah, I would agree, honestly. Um, Uh, I mean, we we haven't touched yet about, like, who becomes the Black Panther. I'm glad that it's not him, I mean, but, because I just want him to stay him, and I en- I enjoy that he has, like, sort of sneakily become the comic relief in every scene that he's in, pretty much. Right. For a character of his size. <laughs> and right. whose, like, presence sort of takes up so much of the room at any given point um, that he has, like, kind of the funniest one-liners is um, really, is always refreshing. He feels like the MCU's equivalent, or not the MCU's, he feels like the Black Panther Sphere's equivalent of Wong, where it's like, yes, he is technically the comedy character. Like, he's the guy yeah. who gets the zingers and is goofy, but at the same time, he brings so much gravitas and, like, sort of regalness to the role. Like, he's also simultaneously the one with the most, like, reverence and respect to tradition and, like, their culture. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's insane how they managed to balance that, where he's just a goofit. Like, he's hilarious. He's a goofus. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, he's the one who gives Shuri the big emotional speech after the really, really big thing we'll talk about in a minute mm-hmm. happens. Like, he's the one who becomes sort of her moral compass as her journey gets a lot messier and complicated. Like, he almost, like, speaks on behalf of T'Challa. Like, 
he's the one who understands T'Challa's nobility better than anyone and feels the responsibility to impart that and stress that to the rest of Wakanda mm-hmm. in his absence. But when I think um, about it, when I think back to the first Black Panther, it's like he has the same exact conversation with T'Challa when it is his turn to sort of make the the call so to speak um there is there are these like parallel scenes that happen but mm-hmm. you know that that this um geez i'm like losing my words today but basically this what, is a big movie this is a big movie <laughs> but basically yes this happens in, in the first black panther um of mbaku like pulling the leader off to the side and being like so don't fuck this up yeah, I he he has the benefit of being part of Wakandan culture, but not. Yeah. So he kind of becomes like, he's almost like a Linus esque figure of like he's the moral like he he has a clearer moral sense than anyone. Mm-hmm. It's probably because he's vegetarian. His brain's not like exactly. By, I don't know why I just went radical vegan there. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I will say, I do love the first scene he comes in. It's after Namor shows up and everyone's freaking out because it's like he shouldn't have been able to get in here. How did this happen? Now we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. He just comes in and he's like chomping on something, and I thought it was a sausage. And what? I was like, is this man just walking around with a big old piece of salam, just chomping on it? <laughs> and I like, and then I in my head before I realized, oh, it's a root vegetable. Yeah, I worked in my head. I'm like, oh, is this his equivalent of cigarettes? Like, is his version of like, God, I know just I carrots? should be smoking right now, but I just need a I puff. just need something to take his the version edge of off. that is like, I need some meat. No, yeah, I'm like, on. This is the one time I won't be a vegetarian. Right? Like, when yeah. Get real, give me the real. salami. <laughs> yeah, get me a giant. Get me the jerky. I need it. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, get me the buffalo jerky. Right. Which is delicious. Um, um, and, like, again, uh, and we're kind of just jumping through the performances. Um, uh, Okoye, again, she gets her little 15 minutes. One, she gets some of the crunchiest action, but also, like, another scene that oh. is one of the most emotionally devastating in the movie is her losing her Her post. being stripped, yeah, of her position. And, right. And, like, again... The, the, the I, secret get, I don't even the have MCU, the words for this scene. It's just it, It's just visceral. everything that's good about the MCU, yeah. where it's like all of these silly names and titles and like all of these secret groups and societies, and it's like it's somehow the most human thing in the world, someone being told they're not the leader of the most special army in the world right now. Yeah. It's, that uh, is just, you know, that, that scene really puts into perspective the relationship that the 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 importance of the Dormalaju in Wakanda and the relationship that they have with the like reigning king and queen, you know what I mean? Um, right. Oh, because she truly goes into like fetal position and like cries. <laughs> yeah, she's despondent right. as her queen is screaming at her. And yeah, that's where we get like one of the best lines in the movie. Like, I'm the queen of the most powerful nation yeah. in the world, and I don't have a family anymore. Right. Like, I've given everything. Right. And she, Okoye's given everything. And neither of them are happy. Right. And, again, it's the big epicness of, like, it's literally like a knight of the round table getting their sword taken away. Pretty much, yeah. Where it's like, this was my entire life. I am not a person anymore. Oh, my um, gosh. And then, and, like, we've talked about her performance already, but Dominique Thorne, she is a revelation as Riri. Like, beyond just her, like, plot necessity... She is killer. Like, I think she does such a great job. She is I so funny. I'm excited so to see more of her in the MCU Again, going forward. 
it's the same thing where it's like we meet Tom Holland for the first time and immediately we're like, oh man, like this is our next movie star. Right. Yeah, no, she um, she feels like a big deal. And they and again, this goes back to what you said about casting being really exquisite. Well, we gotta talk about the big scene, or one of the big scenes. So oh we lose Angela God. Bassett. <laughs> and I totally forgot. Yeah. That so Shuri needs to go Shuri finally realizes, no, we need a Black Panther. And is finally able, after years and years, to synthesize a a uh, version of the heart-shaped herb takes it goes to the ancestral plane and it's not who she thinks was going to be there for a minute i really did think is t'challa gonna be there like are they going to do a digital thing would that be respectful is Hamill? that gonna be okay yeah yeah and like he'll just stand there and not say anything like they'll hash it out right um but no it's killmonger he's back <laughs> baby okay you said that this got spoiled for you on Twitter. I knew Killmonger was going to show up at some point, and once the throne ring came up, after the, like, two seconds I thought it was going to be T'Challa, I immediately went, oh. Oh. Uh-oh. I, I, like, I was there with my friend, and I, like, immediately started shaking her <laughs> when I saw <laughs> Killmonger. Like, I was like, oh, like, are you kidding me? Um, This absolutely rocked my core i i had no spoilers for this i had no idea killmonger was going to be in this film and like i just love a cynical petty bitch (laughs) yeah i like again i like the meta-ness of this film that it's like oh the emotional heart of this universe has been taken away with chadwick boseman who is again the most noble and kind of us all who like you know, would take the time after this brutal fight to take his enemy who killed, who's, like, killed and destroyed his country up right. to see the sunset that one time. Right. Without that, Shuri could very easily go off the deep end. Right. Like, she does not have someone to tell her right from wrong, and Killmonger's going to exploit that. And, oh, my gosh. And I, God, it, I almost feel like we could do a whole separate episode just talking about, like, the thematic importance of having Killmonger come back. Because right. I think it like, is multi-layered. It is. One, I love that it creates a parallel, like, Killmonger and Shuri are two people who really don't respect Wakandan culture that much, or at least going into the first For different reasons, yeah. Yeah. Like, Shuri feels like she's above it. Mm -hmm. Like, Killmonger got, like, slighted by it. Um, I think the choice to have what, and yeah, spoilers, Shuri is the Black Panther in this movie. Mm -hmm. Having her in a sort of facsimile of his golden sort of more jaguar-y suit, I think is a big deal. Um, and I like that, and this was something I was talking about with Killmonger, and I get, I guess I'll go off a little bit. Like, I feel like, like, there's always the criticism of the MCU where it's like, both this and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there's the criticism of like, oh, the villains are right, but you can't let white people lose, so you gotta make an excuse to kill them. And I'm like, guys, do you not understand, like, Killmonger, like, I don't know, it, it, and uh, as I get to this point where I can talk about it, I feel like I can't fully explain it, but I'm just yeah. like... Killmonger had no love for Wakanda. He just wanted to punish everyone he thought was wronged. Yeah. To the point, even his dad in the astral plane realizes he's done a horrible thing by, like, not explaining to his son the complicated nature of it. Like, not sending his son on the right path. Right. Like, and I think that's underlined by the fact that Neymar basically has the same worldview, but is coming at it from a, I have to protect my people. Whereas Mm. Killmonger's like, I don't care if Wakandans die. Yeah. Like, I'm not... 
This, this is isn't cannon about, fodder. This is, yeah, this is about me. Like, he even says, like, I, look, some of these scars are my own brothers and sister. And it's like, yeah, this is never about protecting black people for you. This is about no. slating people. This right. is about hurting people because you're like, oh, you're a nihilist. Mm. Um, and I like that this movie, like, kind of has a villain with a similar energy, but who's, like, an optimist and a humanist where he's like, no, I love my people so much, I will do bad things to keep them, them alive. Yeah. Whereas Killmonger's like, my people never cared about me, and they never cared about people like me, yeah. so we might as well just burn They're all this down. They're an afterthought to me, yeah. Yeah, and, like, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that this film is able to simultaneously still give us Killmonger's point of view, but also, like, explain to people, like, guys, guys, he, no, he is a bad guy. He was the bad right? guy. Right, yeah. For very good reasons. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but incredible scene. And again, I like that the astral plane is this like reflection of each person's personality. It's mm. like Killmonger was in his childhood apartment because he was never able to leave there. Right. You know, T'Challa's was on like the more traditional ancestral plane, mm-hmm. and Shuri is trapped in a drowning throne room because right. like this is her deciding moment whether or not she's going to be a hero or not. That is really fascinating. Um, I didn't even re- think about it that way. Um. It, which, uh, do we want to talk about Letitia and just, um, well, <laughs> can I just say my piece on this? Yes, please do. Sorry, I'm going to get a little personal here, but, Go um, on one hand, I accepted that this was going to go where, like, a part of me held out hope it was going to be Lapita in the suit. I thought it was going to be like, oh, the spy who thought, you know, who was like considered an outsider, who was never respected by the people. Like, she's a part of T'Challa's family now, so she gets to be the Black Panther. I really held out hope that was going to be what it was. But, and again, all of these scenes with Letitia, she is a great actor. It was all so emotionally relevant for me. But I just could not let the anti-vax thing go. And again, that is coming from the perspective, and I've hinted at this before, but um, my dad had a very bad bout with long COVID and ended up in the hospital for three months. Um... Two different times I was in the hospital with him, uh, it was an emergency situation where people were rushing in to literally stop him from dying because he could no longer breathe. Um, Which is why I mentioned that scene where uh, the doctor says you should be with your brother uh, really fucked me up because Mm -hmm. I lived that multiple times now. And the thing is, she's not the only anti-vaxxer in the MCU. Uh, Unfortunately, Evan Lilly uh, came out as an anti-vaxxer as the Wasp. Is she really in the MCU though? Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, Chris Pratt, um, well, he's never explicitly said he was anti-vax, but because of affiliations he has with a particular church, there is some guilt by association. Yeah. And for some reason, those don't bother me as much, because they are not the cores of their little universe. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Something about her getting to be the Black Panther and sort of standing on the monument of Chadwick Boseman just hurts like, mm. and again, I'm, like, so emotionally moved by this movie. And the final scene where she's burning her funeral clothes finally to symbolize move on, it made me cry. But at the same time, it just, like, it stings that, like, Chadwick, who really was, like, by all accounts, a angel on Earth before he was called back, mm-hmm. is followed up by someone who would see my dad's suffering as not important. Hmm. I understand and what you're saying. it sucks that this has to be a part of it. Yeah, no. I 
I understand what you're saying. I don't know that I totally agree that she would see your dad's suffering as not important. But this is the line between... This this is that really thin dotted line between this relationship that we have with people that we see in movies. Right. And and it's and, like... And there is this... this this uh, challenge of like we identify a lot we like who Chadwick Boseman was and we can like his character we some you know somehow who Letitia Wright is can it bleed into how we see this other person who we're supposed to believe is someone else other than her Shuri I guess that I guess that kind of is the challenge because you can't recast T'Challa because T'Challa and Chadwick feel so inseparable. Yeah. Like, it feels like... Like, it's literally like Christopher Reeve and Superman. It's like, this is just the person who is supposed to play this role. This is the person who most embodies this on Earth. Mm. And I guess it's just, you know, it was always going to be hard to follow that up. And it's like, well, do we give the same grace to Letitia? Do we... Mm-hmm. Or do we treat her the same way? Or do we, like, give some separation between these roles now? And I do think that's a part of the film's context. That's a part mm. of the... Because this film is about Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, like, it is. There are multiple scenes. Some of the most emotionally affecting scenes feel like it is Ryan Coogler talking and the actors talking to Chadwick. To him from directly. Beyond. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like again, one of my most emotionally affecting moments was Letitia just or Shuri talking about like why didn't he tell me? Yeah. Why didn't he tell me when there was still time? Right. And I'm like, Shuri isn't talking here. Oh yeah. We all are and asking that question. And I guess that's why the anti-vax stuff, like, affects me. And I I almost didn't want to bring it up because I really do love this movie and I mm-hmm. hate to have, like, a negative, like, little flip, like, moment in this. Mm-hmm. But, like, that is the trouble with this movie because it is so, like, personal and meta and real. Like, yeah. it's so real. It's hard to fully separate the real life from the fiction. And yeah. it's simultaneously what makes this film kind of magical and important and feel like it's like, a, a watershed moment for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also just makes it messier and more complicated and harder to really parse out. Right. I would argue um, that everything after and and since Infinity War slash Endgame has felt almost a little too close to home, or at least we're sort of retroactively looking back at those films now that we are, like, living in a post-pandemic world. And sort of seeing those right. stories told a lot differently. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't want to end on a bummer. Can I say a positive thing? Please do. Light note. You know what I love? And this goes to the anti-hero Namor thing, and I didn't want to talk about it until we got to the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he never learns his lesson, really. Yeah. I actually, I like, appreciate that. Yeah, because, like... So at the end of the movie, he surrenders because he was dying, and right. Which, he conveniently can leaves we that talk detail about how out. That is like the coolest way to die, like in or it's the coolest way to kill somebody. Fire. It's the coolest way to kill somebody to like put them in a tanning bed. Oh yeah, literally, <laughs> and I do appreciate, and that is one thing I appreciate. Like I like that the fight is like two heroes punching each other, but there is like thoughtfulness. Like there's a puzzle to right. be solved here. Right. Like, there's creativity in how we're going to beat this. Right. Um, I, I mean, I like the whole final step in general. Honestly, probably better than the one in the first Black Panther, where it's like, it's cool, and there's a lot of cool moments, but it's like, oh, we're just in a big field. 
all the hit characters are here. Yeah. Let's get a punchin. Right. Whereas this, it's like a cool set piece of like, oh, the Wakandans are kind of cornered. Right. They're surrounded on all sides by water. Mm-hmm. And like, at some point, they're going to get pushed off this boat. Right. While also we're in the desert, basically hoping we suffocate our main villain. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like that. Well, one, he conveniently leaves out to his people like, oh yeah, I partially yielded because I was about to die. Like, this wasn't like we were punching each other and came to an understanding. No, I was dead. Like, I was screwed. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but also, he just explains, like, no, this was in my our best self-interest. Because at some point, the surface is going to come for Kwanda, and who are they going to need? Right. And I like that it, that is what a good anti-hero is. Where it's like, no, he hasn't changed. He just He's got smarter. He's just able to negotiate, yeah. Yeah, he got to what he wanted in a slightly less violent way. Right. But he still has sinister intention. I think... Again, like, if I was ever going to try to explain to someone what an anti-hero should be, Namor is, like, first and foremost where I want to be. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I mean, we assume that if you're listening this far, you have seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I cannot wait to see it again. Um, because I know that I'm missing a lot of key points. Because it is just filled to the brim with, with, with gifts upon gifts upon gifts. So, um, we... You know, you know what I'm thinking? Like, you and I really need a way to, like, interact with our audience a little more. In that, like, I sort of wish there was some equivalent of, like, a comment section. If we can be like, what are your thoughts? Because that's what I want to know. I would love... I would honestly, like, I would love to do an episode where we just read people's comments and, like... Yeah. Debate them. Um, Maybe a Reddit, maybe... Someday we'll do more video content and try YouTube again. Yeah, we'll need to figure that out. Um, Because more and more people are listening to us, and we definitely want them to weigh in here. Yeah, and, like, and this film, and that's what I like about, this is why we do the show. We like talking about films. We like watching things where we're like, this deserves to be talked about. 100%, yeah. Like, I see a hundred, like, I see films all the time where I'm like, I don't really have anything interesting to add to this, but, like. right. When you get something this personal and messy and interesting, like, I want to, like, I want to hear a lot of voices on this. I want to get perspective on this. Like, as, even as much as I'm tired of Marvel discourse, I'm like, Mm. there's a reason why people like talking about these things and I always want to, like, talk about them. Yeah. And, you know, it's dawning on me right now that, like, this episode is, is closing out November and a month of, of thoughtfulness, I guess, and, or, or gratitude, I guess you should say. And I don't know about you, but I feel especially grateful for this film, that it exists, that we'll have it forever. I... One could only hope to ever make enough impact on the lives of millions of people that you get a film made in your honor, that you have a film, mm. like, that people make a film to as, like, a tribute to you, and we're all grateful for it. Agreed. I think that's the most, one of the greatest honors... Like, we talked about the whole Oscar fiasco, but honestly, like, this feels way more important than an Oscar. 100%, yeah. That the company that you worked for wants to remember you forever. That makes you, like, you know, not just an actor or a hero, but literally an icon that can't be replaced. Yeah. Whew. That was a lot. Yeah, this was a doozy of an episode, but Um, I'm glad that we had this talk. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and I am really excited. We have a lot of different ideas for December. I think 
Oh, uh, yeah. Sydney presented a super duper fun idea for like the lead up to Christmas that I think will be really cute and really fun. And also let us get a lot more content out for you guys to enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. We think December is going to be a lot of fun. We, we've been having a lot There's of fun a... the last few months, though. Oh, yeah. We've like we've gone from strength to strength, I think. Yeah. And we haven't even gone to the, like an actual Disney animated movie in theaters, which is a we thing that haven't. exists now that we're going to have to go see. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. um, and as we get ready for the holiday season, thank y'all so much. And I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is written, produced, and edited by Sydney Nicole Barkley and Carter Glace. Please follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk or send us an email at podcastdisneydesk at gmail.com. Want to support the magic? Use the link in the show notes to make a donation to the Disney Desk podcast. We would greatly appreciate it.